Take away those diamonds I don't need those rocks A second-hand car And a new pair of socks I want liberty Without conditions Chasing Liberty presents an interview with Sarah Habubi, formerly a building services engineer who didn't find it quite to her liking, then went on a voyage of discovery, both physical and mentally, um, ended up with a master's in adult learning and has now her own company called Quantum Leaps NP, which is to do with neuro-linguistic programming. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And are you well? I'm great. Yes, good, considering. <laughs> good. I saw you. Um, I saw you on the Icon Class interviews. Um, I saw you interviewing. I think Melissa. I can't remember her surname. Melissa Shamay. Yeah. 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 Um, that was that was quite interesting. I wouldn't mind actually having a, a chat with her as well. She's she's quite switched on and on the ball, isn't she? Definitely, definitely. She was actually on the uh, the Richie Allen show this morning. So oh, she's. Right. Uh, and we had over 600,000 views and then YouTube took us down. Uh, we're still on BitChute and we're yeah. still on, um, I think, on Facebook. I think actually it's still there somehow. And we've even got a, uh, what's the other Odyssey. I think we've, we've uploaded it there. So we, we've got it up in a few places. But, yeah, um, yeah Twitter, after a week, um, decided, yeah, they didn't want to hear that anymore. So, yeah. So. That's actually something maybe to dip into before we, we go into the neuro-linguistic programming part of things. Um, censorship by the social media, they seem to be taking on the role of of, um, of editors almost, you know, of publishers. Um, they always claimed they were platforms and were therefore immune from the same kind of... Um, the same kind of prosecutions that newspapers and televisions could be taken against because they weren't they weren't exercising any editorial control. But now yeah. now they are. So in my view, do they leave themselves open to be sued? Well, that's an interesting question. I actually don't know on the, the legality side of it. Um, what I do feel though is that like anything in life, if you try and restrict people, they will find a way out of it, round it, an alternative. And I think that they are, I mean, they're bringing even more in. I believe that Twitter have just brought a rule in that you can't um, you can't post anything, any images or videos of people without their permission. Yeah. So that's that's huge because then that's people's businesses. That's <laughs> all, well, all, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, See, there's a fine line, isn't there, between sort of GDPR and sort of protection of people. Yeah. And, you know, but I just, it's like they're squeezing. Uh, and it was quite interesting because it was just at the time that they, the Maxwell court case was coming to fore. So it was almost a, who knows? Who knows what the, what the kind of the, uh, the motivation is behind all of that at that point? Um, I think the fact that um, big tech is so enmeshed in everything that is going on. And, and when you look at the event 201 that happened just before the, uh, the so-called pandemic hit, um, one of the main um, areas that they looked at was the stop um, spreading of disinformation and, and misinformation. So, and of course, what's, what's the quick, you know, in 2009, when they, when they attempted this with the swine flu um, pandemic, um, social media wasn't, well, I don't think it was there at all, if I, if I can remember rightly, I'm 
feeling a bit in my age in terms of, you know, but that was sort of, what, 11 years ago. So may, maybe it was just starting. It's certainly yeah. we didn't have all the platforms that we have the today. MySpace, I think. Maybe MySpace. <laughs> uh, what was it, Bebo? Like I don't know. AOL. Uh, yeah, you know, but it was certainly, yeah. you know, we didn't have the smartphone really yeah. the way we do. We didn't have a smartphone. So that, that, was, that was the main um, difference. So obviously they knew that any news is going to travel pretty quickly, whether it's true or false. Um, and this kind of these algorithms that they've created to try and stop misinformation is very, very sinister. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think anyone who kind of thinks that this is for their protection, um, you know, really has to has to have a good think about that and just ask themselves, well, what are they what is the information they're being so-called protected from? Who is it um, that is benefiting from them being, you know, kind of not listening to this? Who yep. is it that they're protecting as well? Who, who are big tech protecting um, with this so-called censorship? And, you know, how is it that we as a society across the world actually accepted this so easily and so quickly? And, and what was interesting um, last year was I was in an echo chamber of four people on Facebook. Um, now I'm in an echo chamber of eight and a half thousand on Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's still an echo chamber, but go, yeah, but it's a little bit bigger. So that's 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 okay. I don't mind. I mean, I we know that. Um, but what was really interesting was that actually Facebook hadn't really started to implement those algorithms at that point. Um, so obviously, but obviously two things were happening. One was that there was something I'd never heard of before called shadow banning happening where people were just simply not seeing my posts. And I kept, I would post a picture of a loaf of bread, and this is a true story, I'd post a picture of a loaf of bread I baked, and I would have 90 likes and comments, yeah. oh my God, that looks gorgeous, and send me the recipe. And two minutes later, I would post an article from the British Medical Journal and crickets. And I was just going, what is going on? How are they? And I, eventually I realized most people were not seeing it. But the really interesting thing was actually the... Um, personal censored, the actual individual level, people were censoring each other. Yeah. So when I did put something up and it was seen, for example, um, and it seems a million years ago now, was the the two doctors from California. Um, oh, yeah. Dan Erickson, I think, is one of them. Yeah, yeah. The, it's a brilliant yeah, piece, the, and they, they spoke to mainstream media and they were interviewed and everything else. And I was immediately, I had people coming in going, oh, they're they're telling lies and, you know, you can't put that up. They're, they're All they're after is money and and I was like, oh my God. And I just I just put this video up. And and because of my attacks from my friends, um, I took it down. And so I actually censored myself. I didn't need to take it down. I could have just said, well, I actually but put, but I was so afraid myself at that point. Because I was like, well, I don't know what's true, what's not. And yeah. They've they've done a very good job of actually not only the algorithms, but actually people censoring each other. And then because of our fear of offending people and all of this cancel culture that's gone on. We take things down ourselves or we, we second guess ourselves maybe when we're writing something or posting something. So they've kind of managed to make it an integral part of who we are now, which is very scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to, to refresh people's memory, Event 201 was a, a simulation of a, of a virus-borne pandemic. Pandemic, yeah. Um, I think it was funded by... Gavi and the Melinda, Bill and Melinda by Gates. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Foundation. the WHO, the WEF, yeah. World Health, World Economic Forum. You're the usual suspects. Yeah. That and we, it, it was attended. Of. It was attended by a good selection of countries uh, across the world, and that was run in was it no, October, November? It was September. Yeah, September. It was in New York. Yeah, and September. and what I understood actually after that, subsequently after that, was that actually they've had these simulations run almost every year. So yeah. they've been doing this for about 20 years, and each time it is to 
um, bring on board the the key players who would be, um, you know, the main people within a pandemic within a country. You know, what yeah. what is their response? And they would be the leaders. They would be the people that everyone would look to for guidance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they have been finding those people systematically over the years from different countries and making sure that those key players were there so that when they pushed the button, boom, it would uh, it would all be... Because you have to kind of... People go, how can this all be coordinated just like that? And it's like, well, there is no such... And in NLP, we know there is no such word as just. Yes. When something happens, there has been a whole series of stuff that's happened beforehand in order to get to that point. Nothing just happens, yeah. ever, yeah. ever. And, and then, of course, we had the... Um the actual pandemic starting allegedly in Wuhan and we're seeing people dropping dead in the streets and then it spreads across the world as it would and then suddenly we're in March 2020 and, and Boris at one point who looked very much like he was going to be Sweden he looked, he, he, he talked to talk he said we'll, we'll just we'll ride this thing out, it won't be that bad um, it's just another you know, seasonal respiratory virus. And then within two weeks, the models from Ferguson and everything had turned his mind and bang, we went mm. into... Well, we, we, don't, we don't know, I suppose. We don't really know what it was. Was this all just part of it to kind of, you know, um, test the public opinion? Yeah. Um, I do know that there were an awful lot of um, Chinese um, bots that were attacking mm. um, social media and um, it made it look... Sorry, it made it look that public opinion was actually in favour of the lockdown. It made it look that way. That was the impression. Yeah. As people started to see these things on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else, and it was like, you know, Boris, you know, is a murderer for, for letting this thing, letting let it rip. So, you know, we're going to talk about language, NLP, which is all about the whole linguistic. Yeah. And also nonverbal communication systems that we use to, you know, uh, interpret what's happening in the world and how we communicate, and even in expression like let it rip. Um, you know, immediately, in my mind, it's like just this kind of like cornfield that's just been burnt. You know, that's that's the image that comes to my head. So it's like absolute devastation if you left, let, it, let it rip. Um, yeah, scorched was, earth. Scorched earth, yes. Yeah. Like, well, let's just, let's just burn everything to the ground. And yeah. it's like, well, most people go, well, no, because that's me and my family, so we're not going to be in the way of this. Whereas if I said, let it run its course, yeah, that exactly. would give you a different picture, maybe... A gentle stream meandering through a meadow. <laughs> yeah, let it run its course. And, you know, even when the Great Barrington Declaration came out, they yep. were talking about targeted protection. Yep. Uh, you know, all of the language, if you look at that, is, is, is very, very, very kind of powerful in terms of the, the, the imagery that comes to mind and how it, it's very sensible. Um, but locking healthy, I just had a conversation with someone just kind of before I jumped on this. And uh, I think it, most people are now in agreement that the greatest export from China was lockdowns. Yeah. This idea and the, as you said those images and I mean everything if you if you have kind of the 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 idea that everything we're seeing in the world is just our own perception. So every experience that each person has is based on three filters that they use. They they they're deleting information because we can't pay attention to everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it depends on what you're exposing yourself to, it depends on, you know, your past, it depends on your um, decisions that you've made, beliefs that you have, et cetera, will, will change your focus. I always say, imagine we all actually live inside our own black, opaque bubble and we have a little tiny window, a little tiny pinprick 
you know, and what we see through that pinprick, that that's what we think is reality, but it's only a tiny, tiny percentage of the whole thing. Yeah. Now, the good news is we're not stuck with where that pin, pinprick is, but we are stuck with the amount, with how much we can information we can let in. So if we can move that around and start to get new perspectives on things, we can start to gather information, you know, um, better. It's not all just one way, not just focused on one way. The second thing we do is we... We distort the information. So whatever's coming in, um, we will <coughs> never know 100% of what's going on. No way. I can't possibly know 100% of, of what you're thinking and where you've come from and your agenda and yeah. everything. You know, everyone's got – I said a great expression, which is there's no such thing as this hidden agendas, just different. Yeah. Everyone's got a different agenda. Yeah. So we're all operating from that agenda. Um, you know, and so when we experience something where the brain's job, the conscious mind's job is to make sense of it. So we have to, if there's gaps, we have to then fill in those gaps ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and then, that, I mean, that, that's quite true. And also the, the brain interprets things different ways in different people. I mean, one person all having a unique experience. Yeah, yeah, there's no yeah. one, there's no one correct way of seeing the world. Yeah. But the third thing that we do is we generalize and what, I think those images from China did was actually create this generalized idea in terms of a lot of people's minds was that this was real, first of all, that none of this, that this was where we were going to start seeing people dropping dead in the street, which I don't know about you, but I haven't seen one person drop dead in the street. I, I, I still don't know anyone who has died of COVID. And I only know one person, and that was only last month, that's actually had COVID. Yeah, and you would think in a pandemic, yeah. you would have every family would have somebody who was either very sick or even lost somebody. You know, mm -hmm. in a true pandemic, if you think about the Black Plague or yep. even the Spanish flu. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I often do a jokey tweet, which is, you know, I can't get out of my gate in the morning for the pile of bodies. How's everyone else coping in this <laughs> I pandemic? I, I just have to thank uh, the, the the refuse workers who clear all the bodies off the streets. Every, They're amazing. Every They're amazing. Night. I can leave my house in the morning and go to Tesco's. You know. <laughs> yeah. So it's so that generalized. So what happens is we end up with these rules that we are, we believe are true. We believe we need, and we start operating from these. Gen and they're very unconscious. They just go straight. So a lot of what's been happening in terms of the media mm. um, is going is bypassing actually the critical faculty, and the critical faculty is the part of the brain that questions what's going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you see something, you go, "Hang on a minute, what what exactly is?" Okay. That makes absolutely no sense what's going on, whereas a lot of people go, they might not question it. So if they bypass the critical faculty so successfully, people are believing things and following rules and responding even. They, they're, like, you know, it's, they're using the language that has gone into their unconscious mind back at people without really truly understanding what it actually means. Um, and they believe that they're doing the right thing. So, you know, it can't be too yeah. hard on people, but they do believe they're doing the right thing and... You know that they're doing it for them and other people, and yeah. the reality is, unless you start asking questions about anything that doesn't make sense, then you're going to stay in that that frozen well, state, really. Well, that, that's that, that's a great point because if we look back at let's go back to March 2020 when Coming got, up. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe we could and restart, you know, do it differently. But anyway, if we went back to March 2020 and and the government had just taken or they just downgraded um sars cov to to a non uh, uh, a non uh, uh, what a was it highly infectious yeah, disease it was a, a a low incidence 
infectious disease now effectively instead of a high consequence one. So the question is, the, their paperwork and their websites and everything were telling us this. If you if you bothered to go and look, you could go and read all this. And yet the, the rhetoric that was coming from government and from the media at that point was ramping the fear up. Yeah. Now, me being a, a kind of naturally suspicious person, my first thought is, why are they ramping up fear? Because surely the first thing the government should be doing is is keeping people calm if this mm. is a true pandemic. If it was real, yeah, if it was real, absolutely. Yeah. So, the, so the question is, why have so many people been taken in so quickly? Ooh, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, okay. Well, I, I don't live in, although I have an English accent, I don't actually live um, in the UK. I live, I live in Ireland. And I, I can't really speak for, for England. And, but the, and, you know, the situation... And and the West is basically the same. same. But I I, I can only speak, I think, and I think we have to look at the cultural aspects first. So, you know, if you look at Australia, I mean, people are going, how is Australia? But actually, Australians are pretty uh, obedient. They're pretty good at, you know, kind of following rules, things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and, And one of the big things that came out this week or so from Sweden is the fact that they are now willingly... And this is this is in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. This is from Sweden. This is not me conspiracy. This, this time last year, I would have kind of people would be switching off, but they are actually being microchipped with oh, their QR. The Swedes have been doing that since 2016. So they that, that, that video. They're now doing it for the for the QR code. Yeah. For the well, hospital. okay, but so they they've that, accept, they have accepted. Yeah. The ultimate, you know, um, form of bypassing anyone having to have a smartphone, you know, because you can leave your smartphone at home and go, oh, sorry, I forgot my phone. So you know, what are you going to do? Um, now you can't get away from this. You are you're connected twenty four seven. So, you know, but you have to go. Well, how did that happen? But Sweden was already that kind of culture, that kind of society where yeah. they're social democrats. They're very much about kind of you know looking after each other. Mm-hmm. They have a very different, uh, very different energy and a very different kind of. Um, yeah, as the, I said culturally, the, the, they are very very different. And Ireland, I believe yeah. that the reason why they captured so many people so quickly. And this is only my opinion, because I don't think anyone's really going to be able to be definitive about this. But I think that one of the biggest fears in Ireland is, oh, what will people think? What will people think if I go out without a mask, if I don't social distance, if I don't isolate, if I don't follow the rules? You know, I'm going to become an outcast in society. People are going to reject me. And for me personally, it took me a long time to really think about that and go, OK, so people are worried about what other people will think. Okay, um, well, why? Why are they so what? What so what? So what if someone like if if it means you're living and you're you're out free and everything else? Does, what does it matter? And to me, I think there's a very, um, very big kind of divide, which is either you are afraid of death, or you're not. Yeah. And if you are afraid of death, then social death equals death, physical death. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, when we were in trees and tribes and caves, yep. and if we were ejected out of those tribes and had to go out and try to survive on our own, we did die. So I believe there's a very ancient fear of rejection. And that people don't understand that actually at the unconscious level, people have then linked that fear of rejection to fear of to actually dying, that they think they're going to die. If people understand that the worst that can happen is they're going to be 
disliked or maybe talked about or, <laughs> you know, might even be shouted at or whatever. But so what? And then what? It's not going to kill you. You know, maybe people might kind of get back into their own bodies a little bit more and become a little bit more grounded and centered around this and not be so easily you know, frightened because they've essentially what they've done is through this ramping up of fear is and 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 it's quite it's very insidious because what they've done is they've ramped the fear up, mm-hmm. then they've let let go a little bit and people's fears they start to go oh good we're relaxed you know okay this looks like it's going to be over, and then they've introduced something else and they've ramped it up and that's every time they ramp it up actually effectively what's happening is they've never gone right back down to the reset mm-hmm. point to the to the zero yeah. They're building on the previous levels of stress yeah. and the previous levels of stress, et cetera, et cetera. So this, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's a control psychology that's been known to work in terms of prisoners, you know, and when you're torturing prisoners. So essentially we've been tortured um, and we just didn't realize that we'd be ta- And we're actually being tortured by our own governments and our own media and uh, supposed health service. So that, that's very, people, people, I had an expression that came into my head the other day, which is tyranny deniers. Right. So people who literally cannot believe that people can be so tyrannical. They just deny deny that there's tyranny. Yeah, right. They're saying it's it's happening for our own good. It's happening for our protection. It's, well, those people deserve it. And, you know... And it's like they're they're just completely and utterly denying the fact that there can be that much corruption, that much... You know, um, and then, but then, just but being, then people just, just take being, that being, extra step. You know, like like what's his name, um, Ferrari, the other day, who who started talking about, you know, people who aren't vaccinated should be fined. Yeah. You know, and then countries like Austria, people who aren't vaccinated aren't getting to go out. You can go out. You can go out to your work, and and do your work. But then when you go home, you're not allowed to go back out. It's, it's, it's all, for me, it's all coercion. And it's all, you know, it was a big realisation last year was that, you know, it sounds a little bit, I don't, I don't know, maybe off off kind of the path of people would expect from an NLP trainer, but it's actually about our sovereignty, that we are individual. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a living woman mm-hmm. and I am a human and there is nobody above me. The government is not above me. You know, the queen is not above me. Um, no one is above me. And I am not above anybody else. And that realisation that actually there is no hierarchy other than the one that we buy into. And once you realise that, you realise that, that, that it's all a game of consent. It's a game of contracts. They yeah. are offering a contract. So a policeman who is arresting a protester, is, that is their free will. You know, and I've been having great conversations with it with an amazing woman. I won't mention her name, uh, just in case you wouldn't want me to. But you know, these conversations are all coming back to personal responsibility, personal choice, free will. We all have free will. You know, just this week we've had the face masks brought into primary schools here in Ireland, and it's not law. It yeah. is not a directive. It is advice. It is guidance. Yeah. Therefore, the parents the teachers, the principals, the board of management, and the students themselves are all exercising free will. And they don't think they are. They don't. They think they have to. They think they must. They think they should. Yeah. And those words are, you know, if we kind of, again, back to NLP, if we start to kind of unpick those words, we start to realise they mean much more than what people, think, you know, kind of just think on the surface. So, yeah, free will and it... And, I don't know if you're going to ask me this, but often people go, well, NLP, how are they using it? What can we do? Right, what's the magic solution? 
to then use NLP to wake other people up. So are they really exercising free will if they're effectively being coerced and and threatened with you know social death if they if they don't comply well, with the Well, it health? is still it is still free will. It is still free will. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't particularly want to put this to the test, um, but I'm pretty sure that it. I mean, I I can just feel it. I can feel it in my body, which is if someone came up to me and put a gun to my head and said, "You have to take this vaccine, or we're going to shoot you." I would go, okay, I have a choice here. I can either be shot yeah. or I can be shot. <laughs> or I can get the shot. And to me, the shot would be it would, would would be the death of me because I have a blood clotting disorder and yeah. you know autoimmune condition. So I know from looking at the research and everything else. So I can make a choice. That is still free will. Yeah. That is still free yeah. will. It's narrowing your choices though, though isn't it's it? It's narrowing my choices, but also the person who's got the gun to my head, they have they have free will. Yeah. They can think they're just following orders, but that is also free will. Those people, and I think the more people understand that, you know, just following orders, which was not, didn't hold up in the Nuremberg trials, um, is going to be the same with this. And I think people believe that they have the protection of law, you know, the legal system behind them, to be able to implement masks and schools and things like that. And the reality is, if they did their homework, they would actually find out that, no, they don't. It is their choice. It is their decision to implement this in the schools, and it is their decision to enforce it. Yeah. So everybody, it doesn't matter what it is, people who are, you know, going around injecting people, that is their free will to to do that. Look, that um, that's, that's a good point because there's a court in Belgium have just ruled that the COVID pass is illegal. I just saw that today. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So... You know, we because people all buy. If you all buy into something and everyone's using it, you know, I think they what they thought was eventually people just kind of accept it. So there is this, as uh, Professor Desmet, who's the Belgian uh, psychologist, um, was saying, there's mass formation, which is the buying into. It's like mass hysteria, mass hypnosis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, but at the same time, not everybody, not everybody is reacting the same way. Therefore, what's the difference? What's the difference between those who, there's three groups. There's those who are 100% completely committed to this. They've totally bought into it. They totally believe it. They won't hear anything against it. It's actually a religious fervor that they're now in, in terms of, of, of COVID. And, you know, we can yeah. call them the COVIDians. And the COVIDians are the ones who are worshipping at the altar of COVID. And perhaps for those people, their lives were a little bit meaningless beforehand. Yeah that this has given them purpose and they feel like they're plugged in, that they're part of a community now, you know, and they, and they, and they are, they love the excitement. They love the the whole drama, you know, because we all need, we all have a need for drama and excitement in our lives. Mm-hmm. And for some yep. people, they'll do anything to get that, you know, that, that that's their number one need. Then you have people on the other end and that, and he reckons there's about 30% who are there on the kind of, you know, the, the fully bought in, fully bought narrative, then you have 30 who haven't believed it, don't believe any of it, yeah. or can't questioning. And then you have the 40% who are the um, well, let's call them fence sitters just for the just for the sake yeah, of it. The swing voters. They kind of don't, yeah. And it's yeah. almost like they're kind of watching to go, well, which way is this going to go? Yeah. And I believe that the crazier the rules are, the more insane the things are, the more contradictory, the more, I mean, you know, some of the some of the headlines have been absolutely hilarious. For example, you know, COVID can be caught via farts. 
you know, it can be spread by farting. And that was in some newspaper. And you read it and just go, yeah. And then, are you really going to believe this? Yeah. Or is this, this, this is like, to me, is a piss take, you know, excuse my language, but it's yeah. like, what the heck? But this is this. Come on, come on. And then, you know, and then they come out with yeah. the, the the new variant, the moronic one. So the moronic, new yeah. the new variant has the same symptoms as those that are getting injured by vaccines. Possibly, it's very how. What a funny coincidence! Isn't what a strange it? coincidence. So yeah, so I think we have this. So uh, I was saying, you know, when people find out I'm an NLP uh, practitioner and trainer. But there, and I have been asked this so many times over the last 20 months or so, is what's the magic phrase or what's the magic words we can use to wake people up? And the reality is it doesn't work like that. There are phrases and there are techniques. And, and so some of the things, for example, is repetition. Just purely by repeating something often enough, they have found that eventually people, you know, it's that thing, if you repeat a lie enough eventually people believe it to be true yeah or if it's big enough people believe it you know keep repeating it people will believe it to be true and if enough people say it then people start to worry that they're on their own it's like well why is everyone else believing this and i'm not and then they think that that they're wrong a lot of people think they're wrong so they don't believe that they have a right to be wrong they're different from other people so then they just go along i mean they've done so many experiments you know to, to show the power of the herd you know herd mentality um, and not wanting to look stupid. Again, what will people think? What will people think is a, is a big one. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to look foolish, etc. So they've used things like sentences or terms like stay safe. Yeah. Stay safe. So if you think about that, if I said that to you, you know, stay safe immediately in my head, I have like a, a 12 monkeys, you know, that video, you know, that movie yeah. where you have to kind of, you know, go through time and you're going into this uh, and you, and it's like, well, well, I'm only going to the shop. I'm only going to the supermarket. I know. It's like I'm not. I'm not venturing out into an apocalyptic wasteland. Uh, exactly. You know. So, but it's the implication. It's always there's the, in NLP. There's something called meta messaging and meta. And unfortunately, Facebook has now become meta. So it's a bit, a bit annoying because meta. The word meta means above. Yeah. So. Um, it's it's a Greek word and it's used a lot in NLP. And meta messaging is what's the message behind the message. You know, I'll give you an example of what of, of how people can think about this. For example, um, if you imagine a little child is building um, something with bricks or Lego or something on the floor and they're getting a bit frustrated and dad comes in or mum comes in and they sit down and they can see the child is getting really frustrated. And so they sit down and they, they get the instructions and they build the thing for the child. What message does that child receive? Yeah, that someone will come and help them if they get stuck. Maybe that they're helpless. Yeah. Maybe that well, they can't um, do it. Yeah. You know, so suddenly, I mean, it wasn't the intention. Probably wasn't the intention. They just wanted the child to be okay and to not be upset or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the message is you can't do this on your own. And I believe that the meta messages that have been given out are much more powerful than the actual, you know, what it seems on the surface. So people have to understand for themselves what message did they then receive. You know, even though that might have been so stay safe, the meta message is yeah. it's dangerous out there. And you're not, you're probably not equipped to deal with that danger. So stay safe. You know, um, one of the other ones is, I don't know if it was the same in the UK, but in Ireland, they decided to choose this absolutely disgusting yellow, this COVID yellow, we call it now, these signs yeah. that were absolutely everywhere. And that in, in NLP is called anchoring. And it's essentially Pavlov's dogs. That's what it is. Yeah. 
you know, and the and the, the circles with the feet uh-huh. as to where yeah. you're supposed to stand, yeah. and the in, exit and entrance into. I mean, you know, it's one big one big opening in the supermarket, and it says exit and it says entrance. And my kids absolutely roll their eyes at me because I constantly go in through the exit. Yeah. Um, and I don't stand on the, on the stickers and I don't listen to the announcements because my everyone's unconscious mind is absolutely susceptible to this. And you walk so against the arrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's all kinds of, so the messaging behind the messaging is that, you know, so all of that, the anchoring is that, you know, let's just train people. Let's just train them to just automatically follow the rules. And as soon as there's a green light, you go in and you don't even think about, you know, bypass the critical faculty, bypass that part of your brain that goes, hang on a minute. Why? Why Why do I have to stand two meters apart? Where is the evidence? Where is the evidence that this is actually necessary? But of course, they want to keep people. The message is don't talk to anyone. Yeah. Don't yeah. communicate. Don't be too close to people. Stay away. And I mean, what, what an expression, social distancing. There's nothing social about it. It's anti-social distancing. Yeah. And and social distancing was made up by a high school student for a science project. The, the two-metre rule was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The term, actually, social distancing actually comes from Napoleonic times. And it was literally social distancing, as in you distance yourself from another social, from a lower social class. Yeah, right. Okay. That's actually what it means. Yeah. Well, maybe so they're meaning that as well. Maybe yeah, there's a so hidden what, message in there. <laughs> what's the meaning, Yvette? The meta message is, you know, if you're um, sticking if you, to the rules, then yeah. you are actually a higher intelligence and a higher class and you're a better person and you can look down on people and, you know, and you and can people kind of blame are, them. People are doing that now. I mean, they, they seem to be emboldened to challenge people that aren't wearing masks when it's maybe not been a legal requirement, but the majority of people are doing it. And yet they're challenging people that aren't them when it's really got nothing to do with them. Well, that that's because through the messaging and through the very clever headlines and and you know what um, commentators on social and even social media, but you know mainstream media have done is they have they've done two things. They have they have perverted people's um, faith. So people are now putting their faith in the wrong place. Yep. You know, if you ask someone two years ago, do you have absolute faith 100% in, in the government and in the health and the NHS or the HSE over here? They would have said, absolutely no. What? No way. You know, we know that yeah. those that governments, are, politicians are often, you know, they're not trustworthy. They might, you know, the, the joke says, how do you know a politician's lying? You know, because their lips are moving. Yeah. Uh, and they would have, and so they've, they've, place their trust and their faith in the people who that in the past they would never have placed their trust and faith and they have swapped around the anger and they're putting the anger the misplaced anger is now on the people that the government is telling them to be angry with with no evidence with nothing to support this so that's why they're challenging the masks now because it's like all they want is for this to end they just want this to end. They don't want it to keep going. And the government's saying, well, it's nothing to do with us. It's all those naughty people over there who are not following the rules. Yeah, so... The reality is who is making the decision? Who is who is <clears throat> saying the masks have to go back on? Who is saying that you have to get a, a passport, a vaccine passport to go in to have a pint or a cup of tea or a meal or the cinema or whatever? It's not the unvaccinated. It's not the people not following the rules. It's the government who's mm-hmm. doing it. But they very cleverly... And if people just even just took a step back and go, who am I angry with? And who do I have faith? Who do I have faith in? 
why and why. Yeah. Why do I have faith in them and why am I angry with them? What evidence do I have to support either of those positions? And I just think they've they've just perverted everything. You know, right is wrong, left is right, up is down. You know, everything is now back to front and upside down. But it, it's, it's very, very difficult confusing. for a government to give up powers of this magnitude when they've... They've never, they've never yeah. given up powers once they've got it they're not going to give it up yeah. easily and they're not going to give it you know this kind of concept of give up your freedom so you can get your freedom back yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, that how does that work who, you keep oh we just want to give what we just need to give up a little bit more of your freedom now we need to get you give up your children's ability to breathe freely in class and then we'll, well, then we'll give you everything back and it's it like was, it was just, just just two weeks to allow the nhs to prepare Two weeks that they had most people, including myself, I will put my hand up and I will say it was an interesting journey for me because everyone's been on their own journey with this. Um, when I first heard about it, I just said, there's nothing to worry about. We've been through. So yeah. I lived in Southeast Asia when SARS one was yeah. out. I've survived. I didn't even know anyone. I never even saw it. Um, yeah. 2009 swine flu. You know, I was I was living in Ireland. Didn't see didn't even know there was a vaccine out until I heard vaccine injuries no. years later from it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, MERS and and uh, bird flu and all of these so-called pandemics. The, I said, the, the twenty, the 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 flu, um, the 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 really bad flu of twenty eighteen. Did yeah. you know about that? I, did, I, I didn't because I well I was sick. The last time I was really really sick and had proper flu was was February twenty nineteen. So that was probably what I had. Yeah. Um, but I just said it's just going to blow over. It's just a storm in a teacup. And um, it was quite interesting. I was teaching an NLP course at the time and I had a couple of nurses and one was saying, oh, no, it's really bad. It's really bad. And I said, well, have you seen? Have you seen anything? No, 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 no. But I'm hearing it's really bad. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people have not had, as you said, have not had eyes on an actual person who is sick or has not known someone who's actually sick from this. But it was, as you said, Ferguson's modeling came out and I just went, oh, my God, this is this is different. This is not, maybe this is, maybe this is a real one then. Maybe this is real. And I went along with it for three weeks and my husband was, was uh, very diligently tracking the rate of deaths. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't the number of deaths. This is the mistake a lot of people make because the number of deaths yeah. is just going to keep going up and keep going up. Yeah. It was the rate of deaths, how many people per day were dying. Mm -hmm. And he was tracking countries all over the world. And he said, look, that country's turned the, the, the curve, flattened yep. the curve, the curve mm -hmm. has turned, the curve has turned. And as soon as the curve turned in Ireland we were like right we've done our bit we've stayed at home for three weeks okay <laughs> hang on this is a bit odd what's why like that's what we were told and they and they and I remember them saying I remember them very clearly saying by flattening the curve we're not going to actually going to save any lives we're just going to spread it out over yeah. a longer period mm -hmm. so the hospitals won't be overwhelmed yeah because the, area under, guess the area under that curve will, will just be the same but you can't flatten any curve yeah viruses can't. are going to do what yeah. they're going to do mm -hmm. and i never know knew about gompert's curves and and you know all that it's amazing how much you learn yeah um when you're trying to find the answers and uh you know, I just went, hang on, what's, and I just kept thinking there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here, and, and and I couldn't find the alternative narrative. And I said, this is really odd. Why aren't there people speaking out against this? Where where are they all? Since when has everybody agreed? And I think people have to ask themselves that question. When have all of the politicos actually been on the same side? Where has the opposite, there's been no opposition to this. 
And that's very odd. And all of the mainstream media have been on the same side. Yeah. That's very odd. Yeah. You know, and I was like, what? And then the whole censorship, as you were saying, in, in, in social media, that's very, like, people have to go, this is odd. I, I don't know exactly what, what's going on. I only have my own opinion and my own, you know, what I've seen from evidence that I, I've researched. But at the same time, you have to go, what is going on? And you have to be prepared to, to be, you have to be prepared to be wrong as well. I've definitely been wrong a few times. But I, for me, the big kind of wake up, uh, or the moment when I let go of the fear, I won't say wake up, but the moment when I was no longer suspended in fear was when I heard an interview with Professor Michael Levitt, who's an award, uh, Nobel Prize winning scientist over in Stanford in the States. And he had modeled the Diamond Princess cruise ship, yeah. which was the perfect floating Petri dish. Yep, it was. Yeah. Like, no one could get on, no one could get off. There was nothing external other than the people on the ship. And even then, the, the infection fatality rate, um, and that was actually on the high side, but even with it, which is compared to reality, mm-hmm. and even on the high side, it was it was no worse than, than a normal flu. Yeah. And I was like, what? Okay, so this is not going to kill me. It's not going to kill my children. Okay, my parents, my in-laws, maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable, but they're all healthy. None of them mm-hmm. are obese. You know, they don't have these horrible underlying health conditions. So I went, oh, okay, look, everyone should know this. And again, crickets. And I was sharing this information and, and people were attacking me. Yeah. I said, but it's not me saying this. This is Professor Michael Levitt, who's a Nobel Prize winning scientist saying this. Why is he being attacked? Why is he being silenced? And you have to keep asking these. You have to ask questions, even if you don't know what, the, you know, especially if you don't know what the answers are. And you have to be prepared to... Actually, learn some very uncomfortable truths. I think that that's probably one of the things that holds a lot of people back. They they know inside of themselves they're not they're not asking questions. They're being quite lazy. It's easier mm-hmm. to just go along to get along. It's easier yeah. to just let's just get on with. Let's just follow the rules because ultimately we all actually want the same thing. Well, so does, does that just just, just running. you know just take it easy, go along, follow the the crowd and all that? It's easier. Does, does that come? <laughs> Does that come back to your theory about um, being frightened of death? Does that I believe so, because if I kind of... In, I, I didn't know I was afraid of death until I let the fear go. Mm-hmm. And that was about 19, 20 years ago. And um, I just had an experience. I don't need to kind of go in because everyone has their own... Yeah. People might start going, oh, well, I need to have that experience. And I know you don't. Everyone has their own kind of point in it. You can't go searching for it. It just, it just kind of happened um, organically. And after that, I realized that, don't get me wrong, I don't want to die. I'm not ready to go yeah. just yet. Yeah. I've got jobs to do. I've got, I'm a mother, I've got children and et cetera, you know, et cetera. But the actual act of dying, the actual last breath I exhale and then I leave, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die. It's inevitable. Yeah. No one's getting so, rid of us. No one's going, no one gets out of this alive. Yeah. You know, so why are we and, and and there's a very good book actually. People did want to kind of have the little bit more of a, a, a of an experience of this just through reading, is the Tibetan book of living and dying. And in that book, it, it the essential message is in the West, particularly, people are so afraid of dying and of death that they won't live. Yeah. So for me, I just said I don't want to be sitting at home watching netflix that's that, that's not living 
I don't want to be baking. I mean, banana bread must have been baked in, all over the world to the most extreme because that was what pe- people had. I think because people kept buying too many bananas and then they were making banana bread. <laughs> you know, it's like that. That's not fulfilling for me. That's not. I want to. I know I'm going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die. So I, I've accepted that. I've accepted my mortality. Um, and I, I, I've embraced it. That's okay because yeah. there's no point fighting it. What's the point? It's a waste of energy and a waste of time. Because yeah, you're not going to win. Not, <laughs> win. So what, is the, what is the point? Like it's, it's you know, it's going to beat me. Um, is what do I do between now and that? That my last breath. What am I going to do mm-hmm. that I can? When I take my last breath, I can. I can say, I did everything I possibly I could. You know, yeah. I I took life by the horns. I you know, and it's not that it's a breeze. I mean, I have to. I I battle this every day. You yeah. know. Um, uh, as I said, I think the beginning of this was was the YouTube video with with Melissa Shimei. You know, we had I don't know how many views now at this point. It's probably well over seven hundred thousand because we have the other platforms. Yeah. And and I went seven hundred thousand views. My face has been on seven hundred thousand computers, <laughs> devices, all over all over the world, and it's such a surreal feeling. And yeah. then I kind of go, okay, all right, okay, <laughs> and what's the worst that can happen? I cool. die. Well, I guess well, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, it, and it sounds like such a flippant thing and kind of, you know, but actually it's so powerful to bring myself back into my body. And I go, well, I, don't, I can't see all those people watching it. I mean, there's only a number on the screen. I've got absolutely yeah. no idea. I don't know who those people are. I have no idea what their opinion is. Um, obviously, a lot of people like it. And, I kept, kind of kept and, and you it. know what? So what? So what? As yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt said, what other people think of us is none of our business. Yeah. Uh, and you know, to get caught up in that is to go out of your body, is to go out of your whatever you. My, I suppose my my plea to people is to come back to your senses. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally, come back to your senses. Come back into your body. And ground yourself. There's plenty of grounding exercises. I have a beautiful one that I've used. Uh, my youngest client uh, was five, and my oldest was eighty-two. Yeah. I've worked with every age group. I've done all kinds of, of work. I've worked with thousands of people over the years, you know, in terms of and, and really, really serious issues, you know, to do with childhood abuse and suicide ideation and depression and, you know, all kinds of things right down to, you know, being bullied at school and, and not having confidence and not having motivation and, and, and everything in between. And I've actually worked with staff. Um, I've trained staff from over 70 primary schools in Ireland to, to use this particular technique as part of a, of a bigger program in terms of helping children with learning difficulties. Mm-hmm. And I know it works because young children, when the teacher would forget to do this, would go, Miss, Miss, you've forgotten to ground us. Right. And to me, this is the first step. You have to take your, you have to rescue yourself from the fear that they are using, which is your own fear. It's not fear that no one can put fear inside of you. Mm-hmm. You, you. It's just can trigger your own fear. So that's yeah. their weapon. Their weapon is, is our fear. Yeah. And the, our fear is holding our amygdala, part of our brain that has the whole trigger uh, response for yeah. stress, you know, fight or flight response. It's holding it hostage. How, how do we get out? How do we rescue our amygdala there's only one way that I know, and that is to become completely present in the moment. It's to have our feet flat on the ground, to take a big deep breath in, 
big breath out, to look around, to feel our body, to hear what we can hear, to look around, to take in what's going on and just completely come back and center ourselves and ground ourselves and just because the only thing that actually exists is the present moment is right here, right now. Yeah, yeah. Most of what we are afraid of, we don't have eyes on. It's it's maybe on a screen. It's mm. maybe something that someone told us, but we don't have eyes on it. It's something that may happen in the future or may not. Yeah, I, um, I would say most of what away. most of what we're afraid of is never going to happen. No, it's our imagination, and yeah. because we are afraid of it, we're giving an energy, we're buying into it. We are, for, you know, we're, and, and you know, I, I can't really recommend Melissa Chimay's um, interview enough because she, she basically put it beautifully, which is that data is the new gold. That's yeah. what it's called, data mining. Mm -hmm. yeah. So all of our information, all of our data, that is gold. It's worth it's, worth its weight in gold. Um, and energy is the, is the currency. Yeah. So what are you going to spend your energy on? Because yeah. that's... Whatever we spend it on, we're spending it. It's going out and it's feeding something else. So where are you going to put your focus and attention? And when we're not here, when we're not present, somebody else is benefiting. Yeah. Whereas when you're here and you're present and you're in your body and you're grounded, that ramping up of fear suddenly, boom, it drops. And, and I've taught this for uh, – someone taught me this in, in 2010 – so I've been using it for 11 years and I've been, I teach it to all my students and to all of my clients. And to me, it's like a, a magic, it's magic. It's a little piece of magic because it's a little reset button that you can use anytime, any place. You don't have to tell anyone what you're doing, but you can control your autonomic nervous system by breathing, doing balanced breathing, by focusing on your feet, by yeah. focusing on your body. You come back to that moment, and it's like a little reset of your stress. Yeah, you just bring, whew, just bring it all down. This is bringing things back from from my previous career and and things we were taught at certain points, and and one of them was um, helicoptering. And it sounds quite like that because we were taught, you know, you turn up at, you know, I was I was a police officer before, so you turn up at a major incident, and you know everything's gone crazy, you know. Yeah. There's cars overturned, there's people dying, you know, the ambulance can't get through because the road's blocked, um, people are, you know, all over the place, people are trying chaos. to help. Absolute yeah, chaos. complete chaos. And what you do is, when you get out of the car, the first thing you do is you stop and you stand there and you just take a panorama of everything yeah. that's going on. And people, it, I mean, they, they say, you know, You've got to resist the the urge to rush in to help because you don't know where your help is needed until you've had Spending a look. Your energy. Yeah, Spending exactly. your energy. Spending your energy. Until you've had a look and stood back and said, right, this is what we need to do. And and that sounds very like that. So I think yeah. I think I think we, we did the, we had a brief conversation before um you know, last week before, while we were setting up this interview and we talked roughly about things like that and, and like you are, were saying, I think there is a lot of NLP being used in the police. They just don't call it that because they'll wrap it in the no, wrong I think, terms. I think in the UK, NLP is, is fairly well known in terms of, yeah, within within the police. I know someone who yeah. did, did courses with the police um, in terms of, you know, um, 
negotiation essentially mm-hmm. you know how do you negotiate with, with an interrogation that's probably it's yeah, useful there also, as well yeah but also you know and i'll tell you a little funny story that came out actually from from the police in england um around nlp being used um so one of the things uh, one of the techniques in nlp is called a break state so break state is like i just suddenly said to you oh my god can you smell popcorn right you go no no <laughs> But it would come, it's a bit like when you're with a child and yeah. it's like, you know, my, you know, and I've done this in my head. Oh, look, shiny. <laughs> Should we go and feed the ducks to my two year old who, well, he's not two anymore, but who would drop to the floor at a two year old tantrum yeah. in the supermarket? And I was getting, you know, sympathetic looks from other parents and disgusted looks from non parents, yeah. yeah. you know. Um, and so they learned pattern interrupt. And pattern interrupt was great because it's like when you're telling a story and someone keeps interrupting you and eventually you forget what you were saying. Yeah. You know, everything has to go through a flow, and that's the negative way as well. So anyway, this police, so there was a call in for a, a domestic violence, uh, a domestic issue. Yeah. It was arguing and shouting, and this uh, police, it was a woman actually, a policewoman turned up to the house, and just as she was approaching the house, a TV came flying out of the bedroom window. Yeah. And shouting and yelling and everything else. So she, she's like, Jesus. So she goes up to the door, she knocks on the door, and and this very angry voice says, "Who is it?" And she yells, "TV repair woman!" <laughs> and of course, that defused the situation slightly. Yeah. Break state. It's a yeah. break state. The person's like laughing. Like, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that's hilarious. I love that story. Yeah. One of my yeah, favorite stories, good. you know, of, of a break state being used, and and you can use it. You could do this yourself, which is when you're getting caught up in something, and there's and someone's getting really aggravated and. You know, um, I have a little technique because I don't wear a mask because um, I don't believe in them and yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not afraid and I, and I know they don't work. So I've investigated to make sure yeah. I'm not actually harming anyone. And asymptomatic transmission is a an absolute contradiction in terms. It's, a it's an absolute, yeah. it's literally too, it's like, what? So it's a bit like, uh, you know, government intelligence. They're also contradictions. <laughs> An oxymoron. <laughs> oxymoron, absolutely. So what I often do is, is particularly when, and, and look, I recognise a lot of elderly people are genuinely afraid, so yeah. I don't want them to be afraid of me. Yeah. Um, but I, I do this every single time, which is, and so even happened the other day, I was in Dublin, went into a lovely big, uh, you know, fancy department store to use the bathroom. And of course, there's always a queue, because there's always a queue for the ladies. And this um, woman in front of me, no, she wasn't elderly, elderly, but she was probably good 10, 15 years older than me. And uh, I just said to her, and I feel she was quite uncomfortable because I was standing quite close to her because I don't stand on the, on the circles. Yeah. And I just said, I tapped her on the shoulder. She nearly jumped out of her skin and I said, I absolutely love your boots. Yeah. And she just went, oh, oh, th- oh thank you. And I said, well, where did you get them from? I said, I, I said, they are exactly. Well, we had a 10-minute conversation about where she got her boots from. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't even notice I didn't have a mask on afterwards. Yeah. You know, so I want to engage people. I want to, you know, the, the, the main thing to kind of counteract this is we have to connect again. We have to, we have to speak to people and we have to have a lot of three things, courage, conviction, and compassion. Yeah. Okay. We have to have the courage so, to live. Yep. We have to have the conviction that we are on the right side. And, and people often mm-hmm. say to me, "How do you? why do you think you're on the right side of history? And I said, because I'm not applauding genocide. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm not living in fear. You, you want and to I'm be, not condemning anyone else. You want to be that guy that's standing there with his arms crossed when everyone else is given the Nazi salute. That one, yeah, that picture. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And you have to have compassion because you don't want to have sympathy. I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone says, oh, John, I'm so sorry to hear. How do you feel? Yeah. uh, (laughs) Not great. (laughs) Not a very comfortable feeling, is it? You're like... It actually because sympathy comes from a place of superiority. It's almost like, thank God, it's, it's not me. It's almost condescending, isn't it? It's very condescending. Yeah. So I, I don't do sympathy, and I don't like sympathy. If someone starts being sympathetic, to me, I go stop. The last thing I need is sympathy. It, it's not helpful, you yeah. know. Um, empathy is is one of the things that I. If there was an award for the world's most empathetic person, I probably would have won, won it every year as a child and a teen and, and a young adult. Um, I used to get into everyone's problems with them. Right. I, I was the unofficial counsellor at school when I was a teen. <laughs> Everyone would come and talk to me because yeah. I've got, you know, great listening skills that's, even then. That's an awful lot of load to put on yourself, though, isn't it? It, it is, and I would carry it around with me. Yeah. I would carry it around with me. And I think this is the other thing as well is that, you know, we have to be careful not to become so empathetic. And my very first NLP trainer, she used to call it the swamp. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got their own swamp. You don't need to jump into anyone else's swamp. You've yeah. got your own swamp. Yeah. Stay out of other people's swamps. Yeah. And don't and sympathy is a little, and other people being empathetic with you is then getting into your swamp. She's like, stay out, <laughs> stay out of the swamp. I just love the analogy. Yeah, the, the anal- yeah. I'll stay um, out of your swamp. You stay well, out of mine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so compassion is different. Compassion is you stand on solid ground. So you have courage. Yeah. You have conviction. And then you open your heart and you realize that people are operating from fear, from a worry of what will other people think. And and they're not bad people. They're not doing it because there's something wrong with them, but the way that they're thinking is not helping them and anything else. And and if you have compassion, you don't kind of, I always say this, if you go head to head with somebody, someone, you're probably both going to lose really. Yeah. Because even if you think you've won the argument, actually what you've lost is the friendship or the relationship or whatever it is. So going head to head, really that's, that's the losing streak. But what if you go heart to heart? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What happens? You, you you find common ground. You find common ground. You can open up the lines of communication much more easily. And but when you do that, person... and you have to be centred and grounded to do yeah. that. And you the have other... to stand on solid ground and you can offer help and information. And if people yeah. don't take it, you don't have any strings attached to it. Yeah. You offer it with love and you just go, that's okay. If they're not ready or they don't want to... That's okay. I'm not going to take it personally. It's not going to kill me if they don't take my advice. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's, it's quite interesting because sometimes I, I must admit, I might be guilty of um, trying to force my, you know, the way I see the whole thing developing. I, I sometimes I'm guilty of trying to force that on other people. Um, and, and does it work though? No, it doesn't. It's, it it yeah. doesn't really, no. It doesn't work. And I, and I was doing the same thing last year as well. When I saw the truth, well, what I sort of thought, you know, kind of I could see and I was learning, I was desperate to tell people and to yeah. share people because I wanted them to not be afraid. Yeah, they, they don't um, want to hear it. They're not ready, are they? They're, they're not ready, you know, for whatever reason. And and I think kind of coming back to that whole thing about mass formation, which is um, Matthias Desmet, the, the professor in, in, in Belgium, was saying, you know, it's this whole thing of mass hypnosis, mass psychosis, mass formation it's possible to do that to a lot of people with all of these but there's lots of different things there's not one thing there's lots of different messages the repetition the colors um the constant playing in the supermarkets the 
the constant headlines, you know, they're, ne- they're just not let it go. I don't know. They, they mean, one day where COVID hasn't been mentioned in the newspapers, yeah. you know, I, yeah, it's just, constant, just constant pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, there is not one thing that is going to wake every bit, everybody no, up. There isn't. There isn't. So we have to stop looking for that. And again, back to a very interesting conversation, I, conversations I've had with someone recently. And I just said, well, what do we do? And her answer was, you have to be authentic. Yeah. I'm like, oh. And, and we had a... We had that's, a that's, that's a journey inwards. That's yeah, not a journey outwards. Yeah. We had a conversation with um, Mark Changizi, who's... Uh, yeah, um, I follow him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's pretty good. And, and we were asking him how... How do we get out of this situation? And 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 he said, you will only get out of this one person at a time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. One person at a time. And, you know, I've heard lots of analogies with the Titanic and everything else. And, and yeah, every, and I mean, my thing with the Titanic is two, two kind of two approaches. One is that, you know, safety in numbers. So all the people on the Titanic especially the upper decks who are clinking their champagne glasses and who've been going for dinner and pints and cafe and cinema and everything else. And they think they're great because they've got their passports and everything else. They have been convinced that they are safer on the Titanic. They are set they're they're safer from drowning on the Titanic than they were on solid ground. Yeah. Yeah. They've actually been convinced that they need to get on the Titanic in order to not drown, but they were standing on solid ground and they were actually in the middle of a field somewhere 20 miles from the sea or any water. Yeah. Um, and the other one is that whilst it's all lovely and, and sparkly and they're all in their groups and everything else, each person can jump off and they can they can initially, you know, have their goggles on and there's their snorkel and they can be on the surface and they can see what's below the surface. And then if once they acclimatize to that, then they have to put on their scuba gear and their tanks and they're gonna have to go a bit deeper. Because there's, they can see that there's layers and layers and layers of this, and eventually they're going to have to get into little one-man submarine with some little pressurization. Because this, what they're going to see yeah. is going to be, you know, they have to have protection. And once they get to the bottom, and whatever wherever that is, I don't believe I've even got there yet. I don't think we'll, any of us will really know until all of this is over. Um, you know, we we then surface and we 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 go back to shore and we we get out and we we go back to dry land and we can't. You know, those people are laughing at us on on the Titanic. They think we're all insane because we've jumped into the cold water and we've we've done a we've done a dive. But yeah. no one can do it for you. Yeah, no one can do it for you. You can only do it for yourself, and that's yeah. the greatest gift you could give yourself is to just admit you don't know. Just that not knowing, that state of like I don't know what's going on. Yeah, just go there for rather than thinking you know everything. Is go. Well, I don't know what's going on. What doesn't make sense? What's really out there that when I start looking around, I can actually maybe get some answers. Um, and the answers can only really be for you. And people go, well, why are you doing the roundtable discussions and the interviews? And I said, I'm not trying to wake anyone up. I'm just hoping that whatever my guests say will make sense to people when they're ready, that they'll mm-hmm. find it. Yeah. And it will be a light bulb moment for them. And then they will start to let go of their fear. Uh, because the fear is the weapon, and when we let go of fear, then that we've neutralised that weapon. Yeah, yeah. 
and we've 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 disarmed them. We've disarmed the other side. Yeah, it's it's been a very interesting conversation that we've had in the last hour. Um, we could probably go on for for another hour, but oh god, you could very hard to shut me up. You can probably tell that already. <laughs> it's getting it's getting quite cool. But from from that, I would um I would take I would take some um some input from that being that you really got to look into yourself to find out where you want to be um, no one's going to answer these questions for you um, you have to they can't, they can't, it's yeah. not even that, even if they wanted to, they couldn't because we've all got different questions, we're all coming from yeah. different places, so it's, yeah. it's a personal journey yeah. and and you have to stand up for what you believe is correct you have to be, you know you, you have to stand there from a position of your own authority and yeah. your own compassion and and believe in yourself or or everything is lost. And as the saying says, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. No. It is doing what's right and taking the steps regardless of fear. And there's something bigger. There's something bigger to go towards. Yeah. And so I don't think, you know, people might look at me and go, gosh, she's completely fearless and she doesn't have any. That, that's not true. Um, I battle it every day. Because I'm human, I have those thoughts and I have yeah. those worries, especially with children. Um, and I look at the world, and, and you know, I can't help but hear headlines and, and, and everything else. And the the best tool that I can recommend, and it's up to everyone whether they use it or not, is grounding. It is absolutely grounding, and I'm I'm happy to put it. I have a 20 minute um, little grounding process. Mm -hmm that was part of another course yeah. and I'm happy to give you that that little recording it's, yeah. it's my partner and myself taking people through this fantastic. I've had some very good feedback from people saying wow it's the first time I slept in a year and a half <laughs> I don't know it's not so boring and my voice is like you know monotonous no <laughs> they actually followed the there's a four four parts to it yeah and essentially it's bringing yourself back into your body it's mm. letting go of other people's stresses and strains and and that sounds very selfish but actually it's for, for a very good reason it's bringing your own energy back rather than spending it yeah and sending it out there to bring your own energy back and, and have it in and also to develop a, a really um powerful um boundary around yourself yeah and i'll just finish on one thing which i, I saw the other day and i was like oh i love the analogy which is that if you think of um a cell so why do people get sick? They get sick for two reasons from a virus. One is that the cell is receptive and permissive, mm -hmm. which means that the cell, whatever there is that's pathogen or the virus, can, can attach onto the cell, and then the cell is permissive. It lets it go in so it can replicate itself. Yeah. That's how it gets sick. Yeah. And I was like, I could see, I could see this little kind of, uh, almost like a gingerbread man <laughs> uh, kind of you know, image. And I said, if we think of ourselves as a little cutout, and you've got a little bubble around that, that's that's the same as a cell. Mm -hmm. Our mind is whether we are permit is is whether we are what did I say? Receptive. Uh, receptive, yes. Yeah. So the mind is is the receptivity kind of antenna. Are we gonna let these messages in? Yeah. Um, but even if they come in, well then what what's the the, the permissiveness aspect of it? And that's actually our nervous system. Okay. The reception's gone a little bit there. Yeah. So the mind is is the is the recept is the receptor. Yep. So if you strengthen your mind and you you switch off uh, the news, you don't allow yep. that stuff to come in and everything else, 
then you stop it. But even if it does and it accidentally comes in, you need um, techniques within your nervous system. You need to strengthen your nervous system. You need to develop your nervous system to be resilient to that. Yeah. And so that it doesn't replicate and it doesn't kind of get in there and actually kind of take take root. So just as a cell, yeah, it has it has its two parts. We as a whole human being have those two parts. So strengthen your mind, and you will you won't be as receptive, and strengthen your nervous system, and you won't be as permissive. Yeah, in terms of how it actually impact you. Yeah, no, that that's that's good. And uh, I remember earlier we were talking about fear and things like that, and I remember reading a book by Frank Herbert way back when I was a early teenager, um, called. June. and there's a there's a, a there's a, a section in that which is the fear litany of the Benny Gesserit and it goes you know uh, I must not fear fear is a mind killer fear is a little death and and I used that all through my adolescent years wow when things and and, and I suppose that was a that was me programming myself Developing, developing your nervous system, you yeah. know, strengthening your nervous system. I mean, there's a reason why it's called a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's because too much has come in and we're, we're trying to deal with too much emotion and negative thoughts and, you know, worry and stress about the future. And then eventually your nervous system can't handle it. So, you know, we have to uh, mind our mind. Yeah. And uh, we have to go in and we have to understand that, the only thing that really exists is the present moment right here, right now. And the more you do that and the more you bring yourself back into that, the better you are, more creative you are, you know, when things come along in terms of, uh, of resolving those issues. Yeah, no, that, that sounds fantastic. Um, so I, I think we could wrap it up there quite comfortably. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd really like to, to get that, that grounding video. That sounds fantastic and I'm sure people would be interested in, in that. So no worries, really, I'll send you the link and people can, can yeah. have a listen and they feel feel free to pass it on. That's no problem. There's yeah, no really it's free, no that. charge. That's fantastic. Thanks very much, Sarah. And um, possibly we might touch base at some point in the future. I'm, I'm sure we will, John. Thank you very much for having me on. Take care. Thanks very much. Take away those diamonds, I don't need those rocks. A second-hand car and a new pair of socks I want liberty without conditions Roll up the carpet from the floor I don't want to be your prisoner no more I want liberty without conditions I want liberty on my conditions Too loud. Give me a guitar and I'll play to the crowd. I want liberty without conditions. Take away that job. I don't want to work. I'll stay at home and play in the dirt. I want liberty without conditions. I want liberty on my conditions.
Liberty on my conditions. 